How we doing? This is this is mid January is what that was right there. Well, I, I hope you are I hope you are doing well this morning. Uh, we are continuing to make our way through the book of Philippians today, and we are getting to the part. Okay, are you ready for the setup for today? This is not a good setup. We're getting to the part of Philippians that is probably the least quoted and least often thought of out of the whole book. There are a lot of famous verses in this book, but this passage oftentimes gets overlooked, and I would like us to zero in on it for a few minutes today. And so here is how I'd like to start off. Now, whenever I talk about sports, I immediately feel insecure because I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so Coach Krause, please be forgiving here as I mentioned basketball, okay, because I don't know what I'm talking about. But here we go. So uh, if, it was almost a, can you believe it was almost a year ago, the Kobe Bryant uh, death. And I, I uh, after he died, I, I will admit to you, I did for a little while, I, I went online and I was kind of looking up interviews of his and I was kind of trying to learn more about uh, what made him such a great basketball player. And uh, I found out several things that I just didn't know much about. You, you probably already knew this. I did not really know much about this. But uh, Kobe Bryant, when he was very young, made an idol out of who? What player? Michael Jordan. And he was obsessed with Michael Jordan. He actually got to play against him, right? Early in Kobe's career, Jordan was at the end of his career, and they played together. They played against each other a few times. But one of the things I did not know was that Kobe had actually gotten Michael Jordan's phone number. I guess you have to be Kobe Bryant to get Michael Jordan's phone number. I don't know how that would work otherwise. But Michael Jordan said that he would be texted, you know, Kobe would be texting him at two in the morning, asking him about how he did particular moves on the basketball court. So how did you do this? How did you learn how to do that? You know, and he said it would be two in the morning and Michael Jordan's like, I'm trying to sleep here and you're texting me about something I did decades ago. And they developed a friendship, kind of like an older brother, younger brother friendship. And you can go on YouTube and you can watch some clips. I saw one interesting compilation of moments. And again, I don't know much about this, but what I could tell it looked legitimate. They had probably 50 shots that Kobe Bryant took during games, and they would splice them right next to 50 of the identical shots that who took? Michael Jordan took 10 years or 15 years before he did. And what's fascinating is his, I mean, the way he moves is virtually identical at moments to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan said, this guy was copying me. He said, Kobe was copying me. He was kind of ripping off my moves. He wanted to be just like me. Now, even though Michael Jordan and Kobe were both great, there is no such thing as a perfect basketball player. Uh, no one would claim that. Everybody makes mistakes. But Kobe Bryant knew that if he wanted to get as good as he could possibly get at basketball, he needed to find the best model available of what a great basketball player was, and he needed to study that individual, and he needed to try to duplicate that individual's skills so that he could become the best player that he could be, and he was, if anything, devoted and worked extremely hard to become really good. Now you say, what, what's the point of all this? Well, we, we all know that we're supposed to be like Jesus, and he's sort of that perfect you know, goal out there, that's perfect standard. But I don't know about you, sometimes it can be intimidating because we think, I'm, I'm just in this life, I'm never going to be perfect like Jesus. So we can become lazy or discouraged and say, I'm never going to be Jesus, so why even care? Why even try? And I think the Lord knows that we are prone to discouragement. And so what has he done? 
He's given us his body, the church, and in his body, made up of ordinary believers, he has given us many examples of not perfect people, but people who do show us a glimpse of what Jesus is like. And so Paul here in Philippians 2 has just given us the gold standard of Jesus. In chapter 2, he says, Jesus humbled himself. He was perfect. He was equal to God. He, he humbled himself, took on a human nature. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God highly exalted him. Now, should that motivate us? Yes, yes, that, that should motivate us. But Paul knows we don't want to be left in despair with that perfect standard. So what does Paul do next? He gives us three non-perfect but real examples of people who are like Jesus. Now, we will admit this may, Paul does not say this arrogantly, but Paul does sort of subtly put himself forward as an example. It may sound weird, right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. So Paul, in a humble way, said, listen, I'm not perfect, but as I am following Jesus, look at me and imitate me insofar as I'm doing that. And the other two examples are Timothy. We know Timothy, right? First and second Timothy are written to him. And a guy we don't know so well, Epaphroditus. If you're looking for baby names for the future one day, store that one away. That was a good one. So Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. So I'm, gonna, I'm borrowing these three points from a commentator who I really like. And uh, here, here are the three points I'd like to walk, walk through for the next few minutes. We are going to see Christ-likeness in these three figures. Number one. We're going to see Paul's submission, Paul's submission to God. Number two, Timothy's selflessness. And number three, Epaphroditus' sacrifice. So Paul's submission, Timothy's selflessness, and Epaphroditus' sacrifice. I'm going to start with this one, with Paul's submission. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2.19. This is subtle, so see if you can catch it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon uh, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Then he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. You say, okay, so what? What am I supposed to imitate from that? Well, it's subtle, but Paul says twice, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And then he says, I hope in the Lord that I myself will come also shortly after. Let us pray. Uh, what, what does that mean? Um, here's what Paul means. Paul says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. My plan involves sending Timothy to go to your church and check on you guys, make sure everyone's okay. And then I also plan to follow after him and come from my Roman prison cell all the way the 800-mile trip to Philippi. That's what Paul hopes to do. It's a good plan. But does Paul think for sure that definitely his plan will succeed? No. How do you know? He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. And I hope in the Lord to come shortly after. Is Paul submitting his plans to God's sovereignty? Yes. He says, listen, I I've thought through this. I have made a good plan. I think this is the right thing to do. I think this is the best thing to do to care for this church in Philippi. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Timothy to check, and then I'm going to come afterwards to check. But all my plans that are such good and important and necessary things to do, 
are under the Lord's sovereignty. I am hoping in the Lord to do this. And could the Lord have other plans? All of us here at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, do we know that the Lord sometimes has other plans? <laughs> have we learned that lesson this year? I mean, my goodness. I had plans with our church, and they got completely derailed in March. And you, I'm sure, had many plans yourself and with this school, and they were derailed this past March, almost moving towards a year ago. Here's the point. We should imitate Paul in this. We should not be lazy. We should plan. We should make good and faithful plans, godly and holy ideas. We should think about what we're going to do with our life. I know seniors, we've talked a lot about college, and you're thinking a lot about the next move. And should you be planning for that? Absolutely. Uh, Anna says no. Anna says no. I'm, I'm kind of done with that. Uh, I understand that, Anna. Uh, but you, you, you should obviously be planning, and you do, and you guys have been working extremely hard. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out where to go and what to do. At the end of the day, do we have final control over that decision? No, the, the Lord and his sovereignty may have different plans than we had planned for ourselves. And here's what's so hard. Isn't it really hard sometimes to trust the Lord when his plan seems to be going a direction that what? I don't want to go. That is hard. Um, that, that is really hard. So we need to make plans, but we need to submit our plans under God's plan. And we need to know, as what Proverbs says, in a man's heart, he plans his ways. But what? The Lord determines his steps. And so we need to trust that when God derails your plans and my plans, that is for our good and for his glory, because we can trust God even when there are detours and setbacks in our lives, because he has something really great for us in those things. Number two, so we have Paul's submission. Now we have Timothy's selflessness. Listen to what he says about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, for I have no one like him. So Timothy stands alone. Why? Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy was marked by selflessness. Now, now get this. Timothy was genuinely concerned for your welfare. What, what that means is if Timothy were here today... First of all, I had some questions about how that would be possible. But if Timothy were here today and he were to meet you and he were to sit down with you at lunch or he were to have coffee with you or whatever it may be, if he were in your classroom today, he would be a surprising person to be around. You know why? He would be genuinely interested in your life. Just think about that. He would, he would really want to know how you are doing, what you're struggling with, areas in life where things are going well or where things are not going well. Timothy cares about you. You ever know what it's like? To, okay, let's, let's be honest here. You, you ever know what it's like to be in a conversation with someone? I, and we, we all hate this, and we've all done this. And you're, try, you're trying to share something that's really bothering you, like it's really like weighing on you, and it's very important to you. you you've been here, and you're sharing with this person, and you see their eyes kind of glaze over, like they're losing interest, and they're kind of staring through you. You ever seen that? You're like, hello? Like I'm right here. And, and you're, you're sharing like a real burden. It's like kept you up at night. And you're telling this person, and their eyes kind of glance over. They're looking at their watch. They're looking at their phone. They glance over. They're looking at other people behind you. And you're like, like hey, like, 
I am sharing like the number one thing that's bothering me in my life and you can't even listen for 30 seconds about what's going on. You, you ever been there? Okay, well, let's be honest. Have we ever done that to someone? I have. I, I can think of moments where I'm distracted in my mind and I'm not able to zero in on this person's burden and I'm just thinking about my own stuff. Timothy was not like that. Get this, if you're talking to Timothy and you're sharing what's bothering you this week, he's looking you straight in the eyes and there is concern and sympathy in his eyes and he's, he wants to know how things are going. He'll check back up on you in a few weeks. He wants to know what's been happening and he's going to actually remember, I've been so guilty of this, he's going to remember to pray for you when he says he's going to pray for you. I feel like I should just resign sometimes from my job as Bible teacher for the amount of times I've said I'll pray for somebody and then I have completely forgotten Anyone have done that before? You say, I'll, I'll pray about that. And then you're like, oh, oh, uh-oh. Three weeks went by and you see the person. You're like, uh-oh. And they're like, thanks for praying. I'm like, okay, you're welcome. I don't think I can say you're welcome without lying. I don't think I did pray. So, I mean, w- Timothy would remember your problem and he would be praying for it. So w- we can see here, Timothy was not perfect, but he was like Jesus in this sense. He was not mainly concerned with his own interests. He was thinking about your interests. And, and just, just to say, listen, let's all make a priority to really care about the people around us every day. I know many of you do this very well, but we could all do this better. There are other human beings around you who have completely full lives. And so often I am so caught up in my day that I'm just not thinking about others like I should. But listen, when we do that, when we focus on others... Not only are we loving them and being like Jesus, you know what else? We're going to find deeper joy in that than just being eaten up in our own stuff. Just thinking about our stuff stuff all day long. So we see there Paul's submission, if the Lord wills, Timothy's selflessness. He cares about you. He really cares about you if he's talking to you. Let's imitate that. And then number three, this guy Epaphroditus his sacrifice. You may not remember this character, <clears throat> Epaphroditus, but listen to what Paul says about him. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. He describes him in five ways. Number one, my brother. Number two, my fellow worker. Number three, my fellow soldier. Number four, your messenger. And number five, a minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died. Epaphrodite's sacrifice. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Okay, just hang with me here. This is, what, this is what's happening. The Philippians know Paul is in jail in Rome, which is how many miles away? I said it earlier. 800 miles away. 800, okay, I just, this morning I, I went on my little map thing and I, I was trying to find 800 miles. New York City if I'm understanding correctly, 836 miles away from right here. New York City, 836 miles away. So a little more than 800 miles. That's pretty far away. I mean, most of you would rather fly there than drive there, right? I I have both flown and driven to New York. I've driven there way more than I've flown there. 
And I will tell you, the drive gets long. It's a long drive. Imagine walking or riding a camel or a donkey. I mean, just for real, from here to New York. Now, maybe for like three of you, that sounds like exciting. Like you're like, that would be awesome. I'm like, okay, for me, that sounds like a nightmare. Weeks of travel just to get there one direction. So here's what happened. The Philippians care for Paul. Paul's in jail 800 miles away, as far away as New York City from us. And they say, Paul, listen, when you're in jail in the first century, uh, you don't really get nice meals and, you know, all the stuff that come today with prison, <laughs> all the benefits there. Uh, you, have to, you have to have people provide for your needs. So they collect money in their church and they send it to Paul and they send it with a guy named Epaphroditus. And he makes an 800-mile journey, including 90 miles on the ocean, the Adriatic Sea, to get to Paul and to give them the money. And here's the crazy thing. Perhaps even on his journey to see Paul, Epaphroditus becomes ill. I mean, seriously sick. And they don't have an emergency room. They don't have 911. They don't have modern medicine. When you are close to death in the first century, you're probably not coming back from that. You're probably going to pass away. And this man becomes so sick on the journey, when he gets to Paul, he's on death's door. And he delivers the money to Paul. And he stays with Paul. And the Lord mercifully heals him. He comes back to full health. And now Paul wants to send him home to encourage the Philippians who aren't sure whether he is alive or not at this point. Now, do you see his sacrifice? 800 miles, walking or on camel or donkey. I mean, that, that's rough. Gets sick, nearly dies, all because of his love for Paul. And then here's the crazy part. Paul says, this guy, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Can I read that one more time? He was distressed because he was ill. No, he was distressed because what? You heard that he was ill. That's not how it works when I'm sick, by the way. When I'm sick, I'm distressed because I am sick. I'm not distressed because you heard that I was sick. Epaphroditus says, man, those, those people back home are going to be so worried about me. I feel terrible for them. I'm concerned. I'm distressed because they heard I was ill. This man is selfless and he is willing to risk his life for the sake of the gospel and get and, and to take care of Paul. And he is full of this love for others. And it says that he drew near to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service towards me. Okay. Now I want to wrap all this up like this. Paul's submission. Do we see submission not just in Paul, but in Jesus? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, I would love to not have to go to the cross tomorrow. But what does he say? He submits himself to the Father's will and says, not my will, but yours be done. I will go to the cross, shed my blood, bear your wrath to save my people. So we see ultimate submission in Jesus. Number two, talk about Timothy's selflessness. Was Jesus genuinely concerned for other people's needs? Listen right now. Jesus in heaven is still concerned for the needs of his people. He is gentle and lowly of heart. And if you go to him, you will find rest for your soul. That's a promise. And Jesus cares for you. He is interceding for his people all the time. And he is meek and he is approachable. And even in this moment, he is concerned for your interests 
and he cares about the smallest things bothering you in your life. And here's what I'd say. Let's take those concerns to him. And he loves to hear us share those with him to cast our, our burdens on the Lord because he cares for us. And last, we have Epaphroditus' sacrifice. I learned something a few months ago studying this, this passage. I didn't, I didn't know this before. There are two Greek words here that are identical twice in this chapter. And you say, ah, so what? Well, here, here's why it matters. Epaphroditus, literally in the Greek, drew near to death for your sake. Well, Paul used those two words earlier in the chapter when he says Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Same exact words. His point is this. Epaphroditus is a beautiful picture of risking his life for you. But Jesus is a more beautiful picture of not just coming near to death. Jesus actually gave his life in order to rescue and to save us. So I want to apply this in like 60 seconds in two ways. And these are so basic that don't roll your eyes because I really mean these two. Number one, if we want to be surrounded by Christ-like examples, there's two ways to do that. Number one, don't roll your eyes. I'm, I know. You ready? Let's say that maybe you haven't been reading the Bible as consistently as you'd like. And hey, we've all been there, okay? Let me give you a, a serious encouragement. I'm not just saying this. If you haven't been reading the Bible regularly and seeing these examples of Christ's likeness, let me give you a challenge. Tonight, start with the book of Matthew and read one chapter of Matthew a day. Until you finish the book. That's not that hard. And it doesn't take that long. Tonight, read Matthew chapter 1. You'll be introduced to the Christmas story. Read Matthew 2 tomorrow. Read Matthew 3 the next day. And as you read it, think about it. Pray over it. And seek Jesus and people who are like him in the text. And see who he is. Start with Matthew tonight. Read one chapter a day. 28 days. You'll finish the book and move on to another book. I challenge you. It does not take a lot of time. And it could change your life. Number two, I know this past year has been weird because church has been so strange. Some of us have been watching church on, on YouTube. We did church on Zoom for a while. Wow, talk about a weird experience there, preaching into Zoom. That's a nightmare for me. It's like, okay, open your Bibles, Zoom. Uh, so, <laughs> church has been disconnected, right, this past year. It's been disconnected. As you are able, okay, don't break any laws, but as you are able to begin to gather again with your church, and as your church is making ways for you to be able to gather again, I would say please don't ignore those. Let us seek the people of God. Let's get around Christian community to whatever degree we can so that we can surround ourselves with others who love the Lord Jesus and allow them to encourage us in our walk with him. All right, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing one more song. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these students. I completely know what it is like to sit in their place and to hear, in my case, probably a thousand chapel messages over the years I was at this school. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would just on our hearts lay this, that we, could, we should be submissive to you like Christ. We should be selfless like Christ. And we should ultimately be ready to sacrifice for the good of others, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for those who have not been reading their Bible. Listen, I've been there. Give them a desire to just open Matthew tonight and start with that first chapter and to work through it and to pray through it. And give us opportunities as they come 
to surround ourselves, not just here at school, but at church as well, with other believers who love you so that we can see Christ-like examples and become a little bit more like your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.